we started the series, This Is Us. And it basically shares about who we are as a church. Uh, uh, in uh, early 2021, uh, with the uh, staff, we got together and we thought, let's look at our vision, our mission, our values, our objectives, the things that are important to us as a church. And so <clears throat> we got together and we revised things a little bit. We changed a few things. We took out some stuff, added some other stuff. And so we landed with the vision and mission of our church, which you heard me speak about a couple of weeks ago. If you did not have a chance to listen to that message, I would encourage you to go back and check that out because, again, it highlights a little bit more about us as a church. But today we're going to share about values. Values. So values are defined as a person's principle or standards of behavior. One's judgment of what is important in life. Right? It's what is of value, of worth, of importance in life. The word value of its in itself speaks of worth and speaks of importance. Our personal values and our personal choices are exactly what guides us. In life, right? It's those intentional things that we select for our lives and we say, I am going to follow this principle, that principle. I'm going to ascribe to this value and this particular value because that is what, go what is going to guide me as I am uh, living my life in this world. As a church, we have selected six values that are probably are going to be posted behind me here in a minute. And these six values are of equal importance. There's none of them that is of greater importance than the other because each one of them affects a different facet of our spiritual lives and also of our lives as a church. And so they're all separate, different, but they're all of equal importance before God. And so my uh, responsibility today, I guess you should say, um, is to share with you the first two values. Number one is the value of word and spirit. Now, <clears throat> the, this value, the subtitle of it says, we are anchored in the word of God while experiencing freedom in the Holy Spirit. Don't you love that? Wasn't that good today? To experience a little bit of freedom in the Holy Spirit where it's not completely dictated. Uh, you know, okay, five seconds here, ten seconds there, we're done. Okay, next. Uh, unfortunately, um, when we speak about um, word and spirit and this particular value as it pertains to uh, the church in general, the church environment, um, Churches typically are separated by, I'll say, two larger categories. The, you know, the evangelicals versus the charismatics, right? And it's a mindset that has created a bit of a rift even inside of the body of Christ because the problem is that you, can, you feel like you cannot embrace one and the other. You have to embrace either one or the other. And <clears throat> that's not the way that it should be. Uh, one particular group focuses primarily and sharply on expository preaching and teaching of the Word of God. And in the process, to some degree, they have taken out or discarded the truth that God is moving by His Spirit today. 
today, not just 2,000 years ago, not just what happened in the Old Testament. Cessationism is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm just going to say it. It is not what the Bible teaches. God is active today on the earth. He is moving today on the earth. He is touching lives. He is changing lives. He's healing people. He's baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. And that is as much, excuse me, as much at reality today as it has always been. Now the other group focuses on the experience of God and with God. Focus primarily on desiring to see the power of God released through signs and wonders. <clears throat> now, R.T. Candle describes a separation between word and spirit in our churches as that being like a divorce. He says that the problem is that the child stays with either mom or dad. And in the same way, we tend to stay in one camp or another. We're either in the camp of the Word or either with the camp in the, of the Spirit. But somehow we haven't realized that we can actually marry the two and be Word and Spirit. Come on, somebody. Word and Spirit. Now, someone said, if you have the Word alone, you dry up. If you have the Spirit alone, you blow up. But if you have Word and Spirit, you grow up. I know you've all heard this before, right? Now, let me put this in a biblical context. Because that little saying, that nice little thing that we say, it actually is in the Bible. Let me explain that to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of a written law, but of the Spirit. The old covenant, the old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. It is a little bit of a confusing scripture. But let me just uh, resume it for you this way. The old written law, the commandments that were given... If we even tried to fulfill each one of them, we even tried, we would not be able to. Therefore, because the law has to be fulfilled in its entirety, if we cannot even fulfill a small piece of it, it brings us death. You understand that? That we are judged by the law itself because we can fulfill it all. And that is why... Paul is saying, hey, you know what? There's another way. We need the Spirit to bring life to all of us. It's not that we don't need the law. But it's that as we are trying to fulfill the law, the Spirit of God brings life. Listen to this. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is alive and sharper and alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God cuts through and exposes what needs to be removed. But we also need the spirit of God to guide us and lead us. You know, the word of God, it is important. 
It guides us. It, it gives us direction. It speaks to us. To know who we are. To know who he is. We find that in the word. We need the word, the word of God to help us, to teach us to serve others. To be giving. To love one another. To love God. To love people well. That is so important. But let me just warn you with this. That is that. If that is all you have been focused on, a set of verses, of commandments, of things that are just going to be in your mind, right? If that is your primary focus, you're going to have a head full of knowledge with no experience. And a man with an experience, somebody said, is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And you know what? That doesn't necessarily remove the importance of having a knowledge of things. But we also need to balance that out with the experience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1 it says this. Now regarding your questions about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge. Isn't that interesting that Paul says we all have knowledge? Quotation, we all have knowledge, right? We all know what we should be doing, basically, about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, that's what Paul is saying, it is love that strengthens the church. These are not my words. They're Paul's words. They're in the Bible. It is love that strengthens the church. It is the love of God that will strengthen us as a body. What's the benefit of having all the knowledge that we need to have, that we want to have, that we desire to have, but we don't have the fear of God. We don't have, you know, the, the things that should really allow us to get close to the heart of God. What's the point if we struggle with fear and worry and anxiety and guilt, if we only have knowledge of what we should be doing, but we're not living in the spirit to, full, to actually experience all of this. It is important for us to be a people who read the word, but it is equally as important for us to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to send you my helper. And I want you to know that I don't want to live my life without his help. Do you? Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The second value <clears throat> that we're going to talk about is God's presence. God's presence. It says, the, uh, the subtitle is that we passionately pursue the heart of God and his presence through his word, anointed worship, and prayer. Woo! Thank you, Jesus, for that. Now, when we say God's presence, we're, not we're talking about the tangible manifestation of God in our midst. You see, we can't put God in a box, church. We cannot box God in with our human formulas and mindsets. You see, we can't say, you know, if you choose that anointed song with that anointed leader, we're going to get God's presence. It's like, oh, well, you know what, if you get this great preacher with a little bit of enthusiasm and great emotions, you're going to get a great message. That doesn't work that way. It does not. Those are human principles. These are human methods. And that's not how God's presence comes in our midst. When we say that we value God's presence as a church, 
We are saying that we value experiencing those times when we worship, when we pray, when God's spirit touches our spirits and we experience his presence like we did today. You see, Jesus said that he would always be with us. But why then do we need to have his presence? If he's already with us, in us, all the time, why do we need to experience God's presence? Because we do. And because we need more and we want more. But let's be honest. When God's presence shows up many times, we often twiddle our spiritual thumbs. We're like, I don't know what's going on here. What's happening? Uh, what do I do? Like Hank was saying, I don't feel worthy. I'm lost. How do I take this time? You know how you take this time? You dive right in. Dive in. The Bible reminds us that when we seek him, we will find him. It tells us that when we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. That is why we passionately pursue God's presence and we do our best to steward and honor his presence because you know what we can just come and sit down and listen to a few songs listen to a message go home and just think that we have done our duty that's not what it's all about you know it's not what it's all about it's about us entering into the presence of God and experiencing the joy of what he has for us God's presence when he enters a room, we need to embrace his love and his presence. His presence transforms us. It quickens our spirit to hear his voice. It reveals his grace and love. His presence is a place of love and peace and joy and the purifications. We heard that today. So powerful. He removes our fears and our doubts, our worries, our insecurities, our pains, our burdens, our sorrows. We love God's presence. We love it. And if people ask about who we are as a church, we are a people who love God, who love His Spirit, and love His presence. That, in a nutshell, is who we are. And I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to pass it on to Madison, who's going to give us the next couple of values of our church. All right, good morning. I'm going to do mine a little different. So I'll tell you the two values, and then I'm going to talk about them because I think they're pretty interconnected. So the first is community, and the second is wholeness. And as a church, we value community because we are a loving church family through which God can touch our city and the world. And we value wholeness because we embrace our identity as God's sons and daughters, receiving the benefits of salvation in body, soul, and spirit. So, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. From the very beginning, God starts off with community. Three in one. Our, right? God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He's talking about three people. There is community there. And God, God revealed that side of his character because he wanted to show us that he doesn't just love community, but he is community. In this entire book, screams community. I could sit here and read you a million verses, but I won't because it's evident. And so if it matters to God, then it should matter to us. And see, we weren't meant to live alone. A little bit later in Genesis, he said, man should not be alone. So he made him a woman and he 
put Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden, and they lived in a perfect harmony in communion with each other and with the Father. And she took a bite of that apple and sin entered the world, and no longer did they live in that union. They were so ashamed to be seen by God that they hid. And the problem in that is that Satan loves to make us feel ashamed about our sin because it's the thing that separates us from God. But more than that, he likes to make us feel ashamed about ourselves because it's the one thing that links us to God. And when we are walking in shame and we're feeling ashamed, we are grieving our God-given image and identity. So we run and we isolate and we hide because it feels safer there, but it's really dangerous. We weren't meant to live in hiding or isolation. It's honestly really so deadly to us. And the enemy knows that. Because community matters since we were designed to live in community and flourish in community. And today, honestly, we're living in a society that is probably the most isolated and separated generation we've ever seen in any other generation before. And that is terrifying. If you are walking today by yourself, you got to get some people because it is not safe for you. Because the enemy knows that, and his plan is to sabotage having good, healthy connection with people. And he knows if he can get you out of connection and relationship with people, you'll, you'll step out, you'll disengage, you'll disconnect, you'll disconnect from the Lord. And you'll step out of the mission that God has created you for, which is going out and making disciples. Scary. Um, but there's good news. It doesn't have to be this way. You can find wholeness and you can live in community. But there's a cost to that. So there's a cost to isolation. There's also a cost to community. You can stay hidden in the barriers of shame and pain. You can choose to walk around guarded and offended and hurt and let that pain and the shame consume you. Because often when we get hurt by someone, we shut the door and we say, no more. I don't want to be around people. I was vulnerable. I was honest. I was transparent. And you cut me deep. And so I don't think I'm going to do that anymore. And we become jaded and we step out of alignment of our identity. And in that place, we can't heal. We can't grow. We can't be known. And we certainly cannot be whole there. See, um, there's good news beyond that. In Romans 8, talks about there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ. Believers, community, right there. So it's safe to be in your community and say, hey, this happened to me. Safety there, because they can walk you through that. If you're doing it on your own, I promise you, you're not going to heal. You won't, because you're disconnecting from that. And Jesus came, and he bore the, the weight of sin and shame of the entire world, and he took it to the cross so that you don't have to go find a fig leaf big enough to cover it all up. You don't. It's defeated right there. He took that to the cross and he buried it in the grave not to be resurrected when he resurrected the next day. Three days. So in that, right, from there you can say, hey, I messed up. I did that. That happened to me. But that doesn't define me. And I can walk out and be presented blameless and shameless to the Father, I can be whole, I can be forgiven, redeemed, restored, and set free because that's what I am. And so, see, discomfort leads to freedom. It's painful truth, right? Pick up your cross, deny the stuff, lay it down day after day after day. It's a battle. 
And that's why we need our community. We need people. We are sensory beings. We heal in community. We hurt in community. We live in community. We grow, we love, we learn in community. We need each other. There's safety in community. Because without community, you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And in that, you will void the Great Commission. So in and being hardened, right, you step out into the world and you're no longer the light that you're supposed to be. And you're hindering someone else from seeing the fullness of who Jesus created you to be, but also the fullness of who Jesus is. Uh, there's a song Torn Wells wrote, and it says it so beautifully. He says, it's so unusual, it's frightening. You see right through the mess inside me. You call me out to pull me in. Tell me I can start again, and I don't need to keep on hiding. I'm fully known and loved by you. You won't let go no matter what I do. And it's not one or the other. It's hard truth and ridiculous grace to be known, fully known, and loved by you. See, it's a really beautiful song. It's catchy. It's cool. But there's a lot of truth in that. And it is very scary and very frightening to be known and to share those ouch parts of your life with people because you are afraid of how they're going to judge you or the way they're going to perceive you or whatever you want to say. And you know what? There's truth to some of those people probably didn't steer your heart very well, and that hurts. So you have a choice to live and walk offended in that. And in doing so, you cut off community and you cut off wholeness. Or you can take that to God and you can go to solitude and say, you're my one community. I'm going to start here and let him breathe life over you and speak the better word over you. And then go out and find your people who are going to sit in the mess with you. And let me tell you, how do I know this? Because I've lived this the last few years here. I showed up in this building and these people became my family. They became my community. And I honestly don't know where I'd be without them. And I just cannot thank you guys enough for sitting in the mess with me, for inviting me into that space of community, and for loving me well in the middle of that. Because it allowed me to grow and heal in the things that God was revealing to me. But it's also allowed other people to see what God's done in my life. Because I've chosen to say, you know what, here I am. This is really painful, but I don't want to live this way anymore. And so I accepted that invitation to community because the process of refining is essential and it's painful. But when you do it with a group of people who are like-minded and in pursuit of Jesus and wholeness, we can do it. And it's safe. And it's painful. And for you, those of you who are saying, well, I don't really have that. I don't think that's here. Well, I'd argue with you and say that it is. And I'd say you're probably walking around hurt and wounded. Because they got a little bit close to that one spot, and they tried to touch it, and you said, no, no, no. Well, it's dangerous. In this place, this church, this body, we value these things because we really, there's um, truth behind it, and, and it's reality. I mean, they've showed up for that in the good, the bad, the ugly, the mess. We're here for it. We care more about you as a whole person than just you showing up to church to check off a mark that you did the right thing today. Nope, we care about where's your head at today, where's your heart, your mind, your real emotions, your spirit. You are a whole being, and we want you to be whole and walk in that. And Jesus paid a sacrifice to know you, and you can live defined in the fullness and the wholeness that he's designed for you to know. So today, be released the grip of shame that has defined you. No longer are you defined 
by what you've done or what's been done to you. You're free of that, and you can present yourself to the Father and live connected with people, unashamed, fully known and loved by this family, ultimately by the Father, but also by this family. So be free, be whole, live out your identity. You are a child of God, called, loved, destined, chosen, redeemed, restored, seen, known, loved, and whole in community. Great stuff. Wow. Incredible. Fantastic. Amazing. How many of you want to be a part of that kind of community, huh? <laughs> That's awesome. Sometimes I think people don't really know that kind of community exists. It does. It really does. But we have to put in our part. We really do. Well, I'm supposed to share on the last two values, um, last but not least, as they say, discipleship and stewardship. So discipleship, we equip and empower believers to do the work of the ministry. Well, anyway, well, isn't that something? You know, um, a lot of churches would have to say, if they're honest, would have to say, our mission is to entertain you. Um, and they do a good job of that, probably. <laughs> but our job, and the job that Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says, that all leaders, their job description is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And that's the job. You know, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they really didn't reach the world for Jesus. They equipped the believers to reach the world for Jesus. It never would have happened if it was just, you know, Paul and all the, the apostle guys. It took the believers to reach their neighbors, reach their friends, reach their communities. That was an important thing. So without sound systems, the internet, social media, they reached the world because they built disciples. Wow, that's an incredible thing. You know, I, I got a... Um, a message a few years ago from a friend in Gastonia, and he said, Jim, he said, you know a lot of churches in, in Charlotte. You visit a lot of churches. You've been around for, for years. Um, tell me, what are the churches that have strong discipleship programs? <laughs> now, again, I haven't been to all the churches, <laughs> but I basically wrote back and said, I don't know any. I want to be a part of one. But, but, but basically, I don't know of any. I know churches that have good Sunday meetings and, and they have worship and preaching and all that stuff. But as far as a, a plan to build disciples, a, a clear paradigm for what a disciple looks like, I, don't, I just, I don't know. We have a thousand churches or more in, in the Charlotte area. But, but the thing that Jesus said to do, go and make disciples, go and reach the world, go and preach the gospel. We're neglecting the most important things. That's, that's, that's sad. Your twin assignments as a believer. Evangelism and discipleship. To seek and save the lost. To develop fully formed followers of Jesus. That, that's, that's the mission. That's your assignment. You know, if, if you were in a college or high school or some kind of class, and they give you an assignment, and at the end of the, the semester you say, well, I did this other stuff. I did this other stuff really well. And they say, well, yeah, but that wasn't your assignment. You missed your assignment. And we've been given clear assignments. It's not like it's fuzzy or murky or anything like that. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. It couldn't be any clearer. And those were his last requests. You know, if, if somebody is like the, the last time you're going to see them and they make this one final request, you would take that really seriously. 
And this should be something we take seriously, and we are at this church. So the outcome of evangelism and discipleship is the world was turned upside down. How about that? How, how, how many of you like to see that happen again? You know, we, and we need to go on the counterattack. We've been under, uh, under attack, and, and they've tried to squeeze the, the church into a mold and persecute the church. It's time to go on the counterattack, you know, to reach the world, turn it upside down. But a lot of times we don't even know. What does a disciple look like? Even churches that use that term, well, we believe in discipleship. What does it look like? And so there's a paradigm that we use in this church for what a disciple looks like. And I remember years ago, I was sitting in my living room and praying, like, how do I describe this, Lord? How do you illustrate it? How do you share what does a disciple look like? And, and I had these, these five areas, but it was kind of murky. I didn't think anybody's going to remember what they were. And he said, draw a vertical line. True north. I said, well, what's that? That's the starting point. That's the starting point of discipleship. Your relationship with God, that is the starting point. And if that is off kilter, if that isn't established, then nothing else is going to matter. Nothing else is going to work right. It all starts with that vertical line. But, you know, it's not only that. We've just talked about community and other things. Uh, it starts with prayer, our connection to God, but, but then there's another thing, re relationships, our connection with people. And I was just think I never thought of this before, but see, see that intersection there? There's an intersection of our connection with God and our connection with people, and at that intersection, powerful things are supposed to happen, where two or three are gathered your prayers will be answered when two or three are really united in God's purpose. Revival can start at this intersection between our connection with God and our connection with people. Amazing things can happen. Praise God. The third thing is, is instruction. And this cross begins to morph into a tree. And you see that this tree has roots. So many people these days, every time you see them, they got a new book, a new fad, a new this, a new that. I'm tired of all that stuff. I'm, I'm maybe a little bit offended even one of my friends who wants to tell me about new things. I don't care about new things. I want to do the old things. That's what I want to do. Because from, from what I can tell, the old things haven't been done very well. We haven't committed ourselves to the old things, the things that Jesus told us to do. It's not that complicated. It just takes going back to the roots of instruction, connection to the truth. Wow, help us, God. The, the next thing is maturity, connection to character. And this, this is a tree, and it has fruit on it. You know, God knows our hearts, but people know us by our fruit. You know? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there peace? And that's an important thing of discipleship. You know, it's not a, discipleship, I had this one guy I knew once, he could quote the Bible like crazy, you know, but he was always down and depressed and negative and critical. I said, whoa, you know, you see that the fruit matters, the maturity matters. People need to see Jesus in our lives and they need to see a character quality that, that is different than the world. Boy, we could talk about that for a while. And lastly, engagement, connection, and ministry. It might be hard to see, but there's a river that runs by this tree. Jesus said a river of living waters is supposed to flow from our lives to a lost and needy world. And so God wants to take us from a relationship with him, a relationship with people, a relationship with truth, a relationship with character, to make an impact. 
there ought to be something that goes out from us to, to lost people and to friends and neighbors and, and to other people. I, I got a call from uh, James Meyer a couple of weeks ago, and he said he saw this, this vision of people at, at Mission Community Church equipped to really find their place in ministry, to really find their calling, to really find their purpose. That's an awesome vision. Because sometimes when we think of discipleship, we just think it's like this cookie cutter thing. And yes, there's these five areas, but also God has a unique purpose and calling for you. A unique ministry, something that only fits you. I actually carry this around with me. I didn't plan to use it today. Look at this. This is a glass slipper. I'm just looking for the right person to give this to. I don't know if you can see it. It's an awesome, it's an awesome picture. The glass slipper only fit one foot, one foot, Cinderella's foot. You know, God has a glass slipper for you. He has a purpose for you. And it doesn't fit just everybody else. We're not, we're not designing cookie-cutter Christians here. Yes, there are certain principles that are the same for everybody. But in the end, he wants you to know what your purpose and calling is in ministry. That is so, so, so important. So, are you ready to become a prime disciple of Jesus? We're starting our next semester again, uh, beginning of March. Uh, we're going to have two classes. One's Intro to Prime, new and improved, by the way. And the other is Prayer 101, uh, going deeper in, in the area of prayer, which is the starting point of all discipleship. But here's the second question. The second question, are you ready to teach others to become prime disciples of Jesus? Because that's part of our calling, too. It, how many of you, let's just take a quick survey. I know we're running out of time, but how many of you have been a believer for 10 years at least? Right, look, look at this. Now, <laughs> I don't want to give you too hard a time, but yes, I kind of do want to give you too hard of a time. By this time, you ought to be teachers, Hebrews 5 says. But by this time, you ought to be discipling other people. You, you don't need somebody to spoon feed you. You need to say, who can I help? Who can I teach the things that I've learned? You've learned some things, I hope, you know, sitting in the chairs and the pews for a while. You've learned some things. You've read some books. God wants us to not only be disciples, but to make disciples. Wow. These are the things that a disciple should look like. Wow. Well, so the next thing is stewardship. We glorify God and bless others with everything. Good word there. Everything he's entrusted us with, time, giftings. Finances. Some people would call it time, talents, and treasures. You, you know, um, stewardship has been, it's kind of gotten a bad name, I think. It's kind of been twisted and perverted into just, you know, we need your money, uh, take an offering, you know, give your money to the church. <laughs> you know, all that's true, but you know, stewardship is not just for the church's benefit. The church's stewardship's for your benefit and the kingdom's benefit. You know, a generous person will prosper. How many of you want to prosper? <laughs> well, be a generous person. How about that? You know, it's, it's an incredible thing. But I think too often we think of a tithe or giving. It's, it's kind of like a membership fee or, you know, kind of paying God off or <laughs> something like that. We totally miss the point. First of all, a couple of things here. One is I want to apologize. As a leader of this church, I think we have failed you. I don't think we've teach, taught on this enough. I don't think we've made it as clear. This is a fundamental, important 
foundational part of a, the Christian life. Not just membership in MCC. That's, that's secondary. Membership in the kingdom. A disciple. You know, we're, we're supposed to be stewards. Everything God made, uh, everything in heaven and earth belongs to him. And, it, and if we're his people, everything we have belongs to him. So anyway, I just want to close with this. And this is, this is a powerful story. I haven't thought about it for several decades. But there was a, a chicken and a pig. And they were walking by this homeless shelter one day. And, and the chicken said to the pig, well, we ought to do something nice for those people in there, the homeless shelter. Let's do something nice for them. And the pig said, well, that sounds good. What do you, want us, what do you think we should do? And the chicken said, I think we should give them ham and eggs for breakfast. <laughs> and the pig said, well, for you, that just takes a free will offering. For me, it's total commitment. You know, for, for too long, the church has accepted free will offerings. We've really missed the point. The point is total commitment, being living sacrifices. How about that? And there's not enough of that that's going on. And I want to have an altar call now. It's not the kind of altar call you're used to. It's not to get saved, even though, hey, if you're not saved yet, come on up. Uh, it's not to get healed, even though if you need healing, come on up. It's, it's to be a pig. It's to be total commitment. It's to say, Lord, I'm available to you. My time, my talent, my treasures, my giftings, whatever I am, it, is, it belongs to you. Here I am. So, are you ready? Are you, are you ready to be that kind of steward? Because that kind of steward is that's just the covenant that God made with us. Everything he has is ours, but everything we have is his. What a great life that is. Thank you, Father. Uh, why don't you stand up, please? And, and then uh, as we sing, just uh, I encourage you to just, just come on up. I know some of you might have to go get your kids or whatever. But, uh, Father, we just thank you, Lord God. You've done great things for us. You wholeheartedly gave your life, Jesus, for us. You didn't hold anything back. Lord Jesus, you gave it all. And we want to give it all back to you, Lord. We want to be good stewards, Lord. We want to be disciples and world changers, Lord. So thank you, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that a, a free will offering is enough. When you want our heart, you want our life, you want everything, Lord. Help us, God. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, we just want to thank you for these great reminders, Lord, that you call us to be a people who will be committed to word and spirit, to your presence, to community, to wholeness, to discipleship and stewardship. Father, I pray that these six values that we hold dear to as a church will become six values that we each hold dear to our lives because that is who you call us individually to do. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. We ask you in Jesus' name to bless your people as we go from this place. May your spirit goes with us. We thank you, Father.